Welcome to Theology.fm. I'm your host, Jeremy Myers. This is episode number 16, in which we interview, I interview, Kathy Escobar on Breaking the Church Addiction. Kathy Escobar is the co-pastor of The Refuge in Denver. She's also a wife, mother, author, blogger, college professor, teacher, conference speaker, seminar and workshop, workshop leader, and one of my personal heroes. Boy, I just get tired reading that list. I don't know how she does it all. She's also written several books. Uh, two of her books, Down We Go and Faith Shift, have been uh, quite influential for me in my own journey. And she's also recently started a theology podcast called Faith Circus. Uh, In it, she discusses, she and her co-pastor at The Refuge discuss various theological issues. There are three or four episodes in right now. In one of their episodes, in fact, they discuss what happened when the two of them disagreed over the issue of gay marriage. You all know that is a huge and divisive issue in Christianity today. And here we are. We have got a church in Denver with two co-pastors, and they themselves disagree on the issue. So you can listen to their discussion and see how they navigated that tricky topic, especially as co-pastors. I think what you're going to learn is some good insights, some good understanding on how the rest of us can navigate tricky issues like that as well. I imagine future conversations will be focusing on those sorts of topics as well. That's Faith Circus Podcast. I will likely include some of those discussions in future episodes of Theology.fm, so you can get a taste as well, simply by continuing to listen here at Theology.fm. But if you want to get them all, make sure you go subscribe. Also get some of her books. Like Links to all of those, her books, her, her blog, and her podcast can be found at the show notes for this episode. That's found at Theology.fm slash Kathy Escobar slash 16. So uh, I interviewed her a while back on my blog in in text format. I'll include some links to that as well. You can go read those. But I was really excited last time I was in Denver to sit down and interview Kathy one-on-one. And uh, it is my privilege to share with you the discussion that she and I had. Some of the things she said is still tumbling around inside my head, making me think, even making me change and and, um, transform a few of the things on how I live and how I do theology. So I think you will be encouraged and instructed by this as well. I know I was. So here it is, my interview with Kathy Escobar. All right, so Kathy Escobar is the co-pastor of The Refuge in Denver, as well as a wife, mother, author, blogger, college professor, teacher, conference speaker, seminary, and workshop leader. And no wonder I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. That was my very first question. How in the world do you manage all this? Well, I don't do all those things all at the same time every day. No, right. But Well, they kind of all fit together, honestly. They, get, they fit together in that... It, they tend to all be in the same stream. The only one that's not is the um, teaching job, the college professor thing. Yeah. Like that feels kind of outside a teeny bit uh-huh. of some of the regular things that I do, but it's online. I um, I teach for University of Phoenix. And, and do they give you the classes to teach? Yeah. I, t- actually, I actually really do like teaching for them. Okay. Um, because I get students that are, it's their very first class for their bachelor's degree. Uh-huh. And so all of them need extra love and care mm. and encouragement and like I'm kind of like their cheerleader coach <laughs> and is this in the realm of religion no. theology oh, so this what do you is, teach it's called skills for general education and professional development okay so it kind of has like learning styles strengths weaknesses huh. um, personal obstacles to success things like that I teach them how to write a paper huh. they do a lot of personality inventories it's kind of fun actually. yeah yeah um, and I interviewed you a while back. I don't know if you remember on my blog. Oh yeah, we did like a blog interview. Mm-hmm. There it is for your book. Oh yeah. Down we go when it came out. So I was looking through some of the questions on that. Some of them I'm going to be repeating for this for this interview because okay. I think the people who listen to this podcast probably have not seen that interview. Um, 
And then I saw this interview too. I listened to Wayne Jacobson's podcast. Oh yeah, that was a fun yeah. conversation. So I like him a lot. He is. He's great. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, he actually is featured on this theology podcast as well. Oh, I, he's okay. one of the podcasts I listen to all the time, and so I get his podcast. And um, anyway, so I read, I listened to that too, and so some of the questions that were brought up in there also will be okay. I'm, I'm borrowing from Wayne, <laughs> so. Um, uh, tell us a bit, and t- tonight was my first time in a Ash Wednesday service. Did you know that? Your very first Ash very, Wednesday? Very first in my entire life. How was it for you? You know he what? was at the refuge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my first time at the refuge and my first time in an Ash Wednesday service. And I will be honest, on my way over here tonight, I had to look up on Wikipedia to find out what an Ash Wednesday service even was. You were a good evangelical. <laughs> <laughs> I had no clue, no clue. So, I mean, I know that there's something about the crosses and the ashes on the forehead, and I I knew that, Mm -hmm. and I knew it had something to do with Palm Sunday from the preview, that that's where the ashes came from, and I knew it had something to do with Lent, Okay. and then after after that, I I drew a blank. So what was it like for you, just being, like, kind of... Sort of participating. No, it was good. Okay. The question is, is this the way a normal Ash Wednesday service is? No. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it's re- that's refuge style. Yeah. So you should go some year to, you know, like a, um, a more mainline uh-huh. denomination. You know, you can go to any, any mainline denomination will have... Uh, a lot of them have Ash Wednesday services, but the basic and message? they'll be more high church. Okay. No, it won't be. It won't be quite so. Um, I mean, that's high church for us. Yeah. Like we don't normally do a liturgy like that at the beginning. The refuge does. Right with the reading. Okay. Yeah. But the reflective part, because um, that's what we did tonight for our Ash Wednesday. We did like kind of all together, and then we split and had contemplative time mm-hmm. and ended together. Mm-hmm. That part's probably similar to what we sometimes do. Okay. And what about sort of the overall theme of what it was sort of uh, death, a reminder of our mortality and... That'll be in all of them. That's in all of them. Okay, Mm -hmm. okay. That's the bigger part. In like a more traditional one, you might have, like we had Psalm 51. Uh There might be, there's probably more Bible readings. Yeah. Some things in some traditional okay. services, and some of them I think follow like an exact service. Mm. Like this is the one we do every year for Ash Wednesday. Yeah, so I liked it. My first experience at the refuge, your 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 church, mm-hmm. and uh, first experience with an Ash Wednesday service, all in one. Yeah, because you've come, you visited before, but you've come to the House of Refuge. Yes. Which is like more, you know, that's at our house. Right, with the discussions and the the food and all that. Yeah, right. So I I try to do that every time I come to Denver, if I can. I don't know how how many of the listeners know about you and what you do here in Denver, so maybe you can just sort of share some about the refuge and what it is and... Your focus? Yeah. Well, so the refuge, I mean, I, this is the language we use. The refuge is a mission center and Christian community dedicated to helping hurting and hungry people find faith, hope, and dignity alongside each other. And then we always just tell people that we um, love to throw parties, share stories, find hope, and practice the ways of Jesus as best we can. So that's kind of... The reason why I say Mission Center Christian Community is because we are we are really untraditional yeah. as a church. So if you say, this is the refuge is a church, I mean, we're a body. But the our, our gathering is like just one thing that's in a whole bunch of other things that happen in community over the course of a month. Mm-hmm. And so it's confusing. For people. The yeah. language is super confusing. The so. language is. So if someone decided to come to a church, quote unquote, service here, and they came on a Sunday night, mm-hmm. they would not walk into what they are thinking a church service is going to look like. No, because like we have we have, um, we have, have a little cafe in here. So you saw the cafe. Right. and So there's dinner and there's music on and people are just talking and then people take care of themselves. Sometimes even being around anybody's hard. So people will be in little corners just by themselves. And then we gather over here in the living room Uh and um, we always have like an opening question and everyone shares and then there's... It's different. I mean, there's usually teaching... On Sunday night, we do try and use the Bible. 
um, as um, kind of the center text, uh, for sure. But it's still different. You know, it's not like somebody stands up there and we don't really have a full preaching model. It's a little more of a discussion, kind of teaching, facilitating model. And I didn't see any pews or rows of chairs. Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) Is that different? Those don't exist on a Sunday night either. They don't exist. No, no, no. Okay. (laughs) And um, even still, though, the Sunday night thing is not the main event. I mean, it's like you said earlier, it's a small part of the bigger picture. You're describe the rest of the week yeah so that's why the mission center and christian community are kind of the right words and one is because the place where the refuge the refuge is celebrating its 10 year that's birthday, right you said that tonight April congratulations 3rd, on that yeah no small thing yeah oh for sure um and then we've only actually had a physical location for two mm-hmm. and that was a big shift for us we kind of had a sort of temporary location and then we were mobile we've been mobile up until now once we did land here we're next to a food bank um, and we're in a place where we used to be by the Habitat Restore. They moved, and we missed them because there were a lot of people that came down. Mm. And so we people call the refuge when they're they're hurting and need help, and that can be in all different things. Or they're sort of done with traditional church and want to somehow still gather with people. So that's kind of like if people were looking for a traditional community, it wouldn't. It wouldn't work. If you really just wanted to go to church and leave, yeah. it's not the place. The refuge is not for no. them. So we have, like, on Monday, we have yoga. Um, it meets two Mondays a month here. There's another house of refuge. On Tuesday, we have advocate training, and which is um, skills and training for people who journey with people in hard places. So it's kind of like it's hard work to live in hard places with people. So we try and do stuff around... Um, you know, how do you, what do you do in these situations? How do you take good care of yourself? Um, what are resources in the community? And that's a really fun group, actually. Mm. We've been meeting for a long time. We have free lunch, open space hours on Tuesdays. On Wednesdays, we have a healing group. I'm just kind of saying this stuff because you get yeah, an idea. Yeah. And then Wednesday night, there's House of Refuge that you've that I've been, been to. to. We've got a once-a-month teen group. Uh-huh. None of those got, none of the kids in the teen group ever come to the refuge, except for maybe to the feast. But they have an amazing group. They meet in the living room, hmm. and they're amazing because we have an amazing kids pastor. That she's a grief therapist too. Hmm. And then um, on Saturday, one Saturday a month, my friend, who's a therapist, life coach, Phyllis, does School of Life, and it's like a workshop, two-hour workshop that anyone can come to. Five bucks if you bring a side dish. Hmm. Um, ten dollars if you're like me and don't want to make anything. <laughs> and I'm like, that's worth hundred and forty dollars in therapy. Um, and then um, another Saturday we have a single moms yeah. group. And then other times during the month, like we have a learn next week. Today we had Ash Wednesday. Next week my friend um, is doing a an interactive night on spiritual trauma, people that have been wounded by spiritual experiences, religion. Then in March, like I were doing an interfaith learning party where I have a friend who um, I go to an interfaith group. So one of my friends, Muslim, of a rabbi, hmm. Hindu educator, and a Buddhist monk are all going to come here and just share. Hmm. And so people who will be primarily Christians are going to come and just listen hmm. and learn, and we'll be at, we'll, everyone will interact. And so the refu- that's the example of like. In a rhythm of a month, all that might happen. Wow. Maybe a few parties. If somebody is celebrating something, we might have a little special event or something in there. Yeah. And then you were sharing with me earlier tonight, in fact, something I really love, that now that you have this building, that you've been in here for two years, you Mm -hmm. say, you've opened it up to the community to come and use it too yeah, for that's functions our, or meetings. If they or, can, yeah, yeah, and they need a space. And so some local agencies have used meeting, you know, use it for their meetings. Right. And we've got another church that, um, you know, they're in a satellite and they, they use it for their, like, new members class or something. And it's good space. I love that. Me because, too. Yeah. Long time ago, back in my journey of leaving traditional church, I was real critical for a while of church buildings, just seeing them as a huge drain on resources and, and everything. And, I, and at the time, I said, you know what, but I could see how a church building, a church space could be redeemed if the church opened it up to the community and just 
made it the community center again in a sense so that people could come and use it. So anyway, I'm really thrilled you're doing that. It just I think it really reflects your heart and sort of the mission and purpose of the refuge that well, I've seen. Well, Carl and I really struggled. So Carl and I co-pastor the refuge right. with Mike too, but we plant, Carl and I planted it together mm-hmm. really with a team by a long time ago. We were like totally anti-building. Yeah, right. So huge anti-building. And that was like a big part of our ethos. And, um, and so this was a big stretch. Mm-hmm. But what we've realized is that for so many of our friends that are displaced and so or living alone, and there's a, not a sense of connection that it has really brought stability to have a little home. And I wish you guys could see it because it's kind of like a home. Mm-hmm. And actually, some people come here. We have a couple um, amazing women that are um, one's a widow, one's single. And um, they just come over here and kind of make sure the building's okay and clean. And I'll drop by for something because we're not here all the time. Mm-hmm. That's purposeful that we're still out. But, um, and they're here checking email or just tiddling around doing something. And hmm. so it's kind of like their home. Like a home. Uh-huh. That's fantastic. Yeah. So that's kind of how, and actually they really, they help keep the house going without money and jobs and all that. It's just like Wonderful. they want to be here. To Perfect. Make things happen. So you and Carl, just transition a little bit. You and Carl, for lack of a better term, planted this church, started it. I don't know what word you'd want to use there. Ten years ago? Ten years ago. All right. So what's the story leading up to that? We got fired from a really big church (laughs) and got scared. (laughs) And we're like, we have to do something. That's basically what happened. Yeah. So elaborate on that just for (laughs) listeners a little bit. Because I've heard your story, but I find it fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what we always say. Don't ever do what we did in that we work together at a big church. Um, and I was the uh, care pastor and then adult ministry pastor. And then uh, Carl came in as a teaching pastor. I was there for 18 months before he came. This was a mega church? It's a mega church. In, in Denver area it somewhere? It was up in Boulder County. Okay. Growing, growing, growing. And then a year, this was before Carl came, the senior pastor had a quote-unquote moral failure. Hmm. He was like the founding charismatic, like the one that grew it. And um, so finally got taken out. And of course, you know, that like troubles everybody. And it was really hard on the staff. And, um, but you know, it's so fascinating. It didn't miss a beat in a way. It just kind of kept going. But the biggest gap, they just brought in all these speakers to fill that. And that was personally really hard for me because I was like, everyone needs to grieve. And this is a chance to change. And let's not keep the wheels spinning around. And anyway... Um, Carl came in as a teach as a, a guest teacher, and he probably was the most like the old ethos, and so they hired him. We became kindred spirits. Um, we agree on a lot of things, mainly um, equality, shared leadership, and really deferring to the margins. Hmm. So that's a really big deal. And actually, in mega church land, that's not popular. Our church tended to do that for a long time, but um, the, you know the long story is just that really they wanted a different kind of leader and went outside of the state and brought in a very um, uh, dogmatic and strong. He's a really strong leader. Since then, we actually wanted to shrink the church. We were like, we you were and four, Carl, mm-hmm. we're like we're at four thousand. Let's just go to two. Yeah, and actually, let's split the two into ten. Huh pockets of 200 but you come together once a month like we had we're so crazy on what i i just think that you could do so much with 10 pockets of 200 people. sure and um because we had a few we had like two pockets i was recovery we had 200 people it was an amazing little um container for transformation mm-hmm. and if you could create you know some affinity it's not it could be kind of not homogeneous but affinity we had a good single there were just some ways to make 10 churches. You're right. Oh, and, yeah. um, of course, that's not, like, super popular. No. And it's actually anti. They're like, what in the <laughs> are you <guys laughs> talking about? And um, so the uh, the reality is they want to grow the church. Sure. And, you know, since our joke is we know how to shrink a church, and the person that came in has grown that thing from, I think they have, like, 10 or 15,000 10 or 15,000 now. So, yeah. Mm. And really for us, 
it was there were some big things and there were some things about women if that wasn't the biggest thing but there was some issues about that with new theology that came in and um for us we just we just were the first to leave everyone left after us anyway but we were the first um, to lose our jobs did you actually get fired? Well, in I mean, megachurch land, it's in called megachurch- being asked to resign. Asked to resign. Well, of course, right. So <laughs> but, there's just a different of opinion on how to do the mm-hmm. ministry and where the yeah. direction the church was going. And so they said, look, we have a new pastor We're to ease wish the transition. It, I wish it was as clean as that. Well, but it's it never clean. Tons of power things. Mm. The most Think of the most unhealthy family and how they handle a certain moment uh-huh. and um, and just apply it times ten. Um, But the good news is, is that, and I look back on it as painful as it was, we kind of crawled out of there. It was a gift because it was a culture clash. Yeah. And I didn't even know it, you know, until I was out. And then we had a chance to build a little dream. And really it was Carl. He's like, let's co-pastor. And I'm like, what's a (laughs) (laughs) co-pastor? I didn't know what one was. And um, he's like, it's where you just share equally. And there's not one head. There's not... You know, and I had never, ever known of a church that didn't have one head pastor who was always a man. And so even me, I had come far in ministry in an evangelical Brits church, and um, I was the only woman at that time. There was one other for a while, and she ended up losing, you know, it's just really a hard story what Mm. happens. Mm. So um, it's just all guys and me. And so our thing was to create equality from the beginning, and to make sure that everybody had a voice, because that's another troubling part for me about a lot of big churches, is you only get pretty and popular and charismatic people. Right. And um, talented, polished. And um, there's so much in the body that's missing. And so I, Carl and I really saw that the same. So like we always had an open mic. We always had discussion, and uh, at the beginning of the refuge, the refuge used to actually be bigger than it is now. The very first couple weeks, a lot because, of people came. Oh, and they were you. like, they're going to start like a mini mega. You're right. We have a really good teaching pastor, a really good care pastor, and but like the very first week, we had tables. Uh huh. Instead of the rows of chairs. Yeah. So we had tables. So then the next week, half of the people came back. Oh, we can't go to a church if they have tables. <laughs> no. And then, then we never had, we didn't have music at the beginning. Uh-huh. And then, I, I don't know, Carl did some, he's a really good um, teacher. And he did some weird thing where he made everyone take off their shoes. Like, it was super uncomfortable that another half didn't come back <laughs> the next week. They're like, what are they doing? And I think for us, that was the best thing we ever did. Because we never wanted people to be connected to the refuge because of the worship, the teaching, or the kids. Which is the three things people look for in a church these days. Every time. Teaching, we, worship, kids. Yep. And so if you take those off, and we care about the kids. Of we, course. We happen to have an amazing kids. But if you're looking for sort of slides and headphones and, you know, you're not going to get that. And um, teaching, I think it's great, personally, but it's so, you know, you don't get a 20-minute message where you're, like, amped up for God. Mm-hmm. It's just not that way. And then um, worship is, um, you know, we've just, we've never, ever really had music in that way. Little pockets. Like, we had a friend, and he was here, and helped nurture that. But it was always hard, and we're glad. And we purposely were like, we're not going to hire somebody. If it's here, then we'll do it in the body that was here. That's right. And when you actually, when you have, you know, I was called face shifting, when you sort of things unravel and you kind of can't do church the old way, worship is hard anyway. Like the songs, once in a while, like something will be, well, it's very rare that we do it that way. But let's say someone comes and had something on a slide here. It just like brings back a lot of bad feelings for mm. people, and the words are kind of weird. And so we've really, we've really, really like tonight what you experienced—that was about as much as we could do. No, where she great. just kind of like it, she made it up. Yeah, no, you know? it was great. And we just kind of sang along, and it was short, and uh-huh. we didn't have any books or things words on, on the, the wall. Or... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and even with your group, you wonder. if... You know, they'd be able to sing along. You can't, to, right? It just, no, Mm-mm. 
You just and, and you're not trying to force it, and that's what I love. You, you're, you're looking at the people God has brought together and saying, what can we do? How can we do it? Mm-hmm. With who's here. With who is here. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so. that's wonderful. Hmm. Um, all right, so since you've had, you, you've seen it all. Mega church, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the painful experiences of leaving a mega church. Um, small church, sort of a home church, house church, at least what mm-hmm. people would think of. This house of refuge that meets at your house is sort of what some people... Are there people that come only to yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's a good example. Like They don't come at all on Sundays yeah. or even to most other things, but that's their main... That They would call that their house. They might not use that word, but... Right, of course. If someone was describing it, and then the kind of the funny part is that people associate house church with certain things and... It's just we don't do a lot of this. No, things, and I'm but, I'm not trying to use the labels either. But yeah, what is it, it often? Fits. It no, does sort of fit. Enough. So I want to add. I mean, just from your perspective, if you if you could get, let's start with the mega churches. If you could get the pastoral staff of a mega church into this room with you, <laughs> or maybe the members. Maybe you'd say something different to either one. But what would what would you encourage them? What would you ask them to think about? What would you tell them? Maybe what would you challenge them to do? Well, I I've gotten softer over the years, a uh-huh. teeny bit, but I'm <laughs> just a little bit. Is I I would probably say this to say it was the staff. I would say I really get your passion. I totally get your passion. I know what you hope to do. Um, in the kingdom and in the community and all that. But honestly, if you keep having everybody be addicted to this mm. weekly thing, you will never, ever do it. You will probably do 5 to 10% max of what you want to do. Really. In yeah. terms of true impact. I'm not talking about true people who are happy that they go there mm-hmm. and are getting good worship, teaching, and kids program. Right. Because you got those three nailed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about you actually will never move people to something that they really need. You'll never really connect people. Like a few people will. They'll become lifelong friends there. It'll be microscopic in relationship to how much time everybody spends there. Right. And so, you know, my big thing is what would it look like to actually make everybody uncomfortable? They're so comfortable. And you think actually you're like challenging messages make them uncomfortable. It doesn't because you still do it in a comfortable way, even though they might be like stirring and you need to do this for God and God has more for you, you know, all that kind of stuff. No, because you still get away with going home, not doing anything. And nobody knows, nobody cares, no one asks, no one wonders. And then you come back the next week, and it's a new sermon series. Right. And it's something cool, and you're like, oh, phew, I don't have to feel quite as uncomfortable as I might in that little teeny sermon. So, like, for me, a funny story, this is not a mega church, it's smaller, they probably have a... um, they probably have a thousand people all together. So still decent it's, Yeah, no, yeah. it's big, and I love them. They're good friends, and... Um, and they've got a really, they're, they really are trying to do something different in the community. But they've asked me to come speak there each summer. And they bring in a bunch of people. And um, both times I've had like this deep urge to rearrange the entire room around tables and get these people talking because they're amazing. And you can feel that actually they would. Hmm. And I'm not talking about greet your neighbor. No. No, no. I'm talking about actually having a conversation around the table and like be together and see each other and dream and, you know, challenge each other. And I, it was interesting because the first time I could feel it, I could see it, what it would be. And then this, the, the second year, I asked Carl to come too. So we came together and we actually built time into it. I did a few interactive things, but this time we built time and the room went crazy. We did a whole thing on dignified dialogue and holding differences in tension, but it was so cool. Mm. And they really, like, you could feel something happen, but the truth is, and they're great people, they just probably don't do that anymore. Like, it just was a one-time thing. 
so much could happen if people actually had a chance in church, quote unquote. It's a better way to put it is in a church service to actually engage instead of sit there and listen to someone talk and sing songs on a screen. Sometimes the words are dumb, <laughs> but you just do it because you're used to it. Yeah. And then someone prays, and then honestly, you leave. You go home. Yeah. So I would say that. I would say, what? and I'm not talking about a little uncomfortable. I'm talking about, are you, really, are you willing to shrink your church in half? Well, that's what I was going to say. Any pastor listening to this who decides to do that needs to know he might be out of a job next month. It's true. But they all want to. I talk to pastors. They do want to. They want to, but that's the reality. You go into the ministry for life change and life transformation, helping people follow Jesus, and somewhere along the way, not everybody, but some, go after the... I mean, they get they get trapped themselves in the, they really the numbers do. and the budget and the... And a secure job. Right, job yeah. security. Oh, for sure. Oh, it I was think... the most money I ever made. I made good money yeah. there, and I was the lowest paid pastor. I'm convinced there's so many pastors in the United States that if they could find a job that would replace their salary, mm-hmm. they would probably yeah. quit next next week. I think you're right. Oh, I know you're right. Yeah. And that reality, I think it's important actually to honor that. And so, but it's hard because, and that is where, like, I was personally had a little good, I have a good setup. Yeah. Um, because I didn't have to, I don't have to support my whole right. family. You can't, you actually can't support. Nobody here. We all split. Mm-hmm. It's gone up a teeny, teeny bit over 10 years, but not that much. No. And we um, split for a long time how much I made at Big Church. Mm-hmm. And there were like six people splitting that. Splitting that one yes. amount. And I was a lowest paid pastor. Right. And it's because everyone was either bivocational, had somebody else right. that earned enough income, retired. There was like some reason you couldn't. You couldn't live on it. No. You couldn't support a family. or No. Yeah, for sure. What about for the members of the megachurch? If, you, if, if, if they gave you the pulpit. And said, Kathy, I would say drink their anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> say anything you want. I would say get sober from your inspiration addiction. It's an addiction. It is. And this Carl, Carl coined the term years and years and years ago. He's got a good post on it somewhere. I'm, I it might be on an old refuge blog. I think he might have written it on, on an old blog. He had, but I come back to it all the time. That you have to give it up. Cold turkey. I think so. Maybe you get, I think cold turkey for a while. Yeah. And then you could go once a month. What's a or, while? I mean, not not that this you're giving anybody a five-step program here, a ten-step program or something to break their addiction. It's not a church, month. It's not me. a month. It's probably not six months. It's probably a year. I mean, I'm just tossing this out. No, right. As we're talking. I'm thinking it through, through it, too, but... through the people I know and even yeah. for myself. Yeah. Even a year, I'm thinking, might not be enough. I'm not sure. Because I think, I mean, we could probably do a study on it. I don't have time, but yeah. if you found some... Uh, grad school student that wanted to like do a study on this because I'm sure there's brain chemistry right. and biology involved sure. and it, it hits something inside of us oh it makes me think of this thing that I saw on the work of the people do you know the work of the people no. com? that is a great site the work of the people dot com okay my friend Travis Reed um, he created that and he's an artist and a storyteller and he loves he's a kingdom guy and he's one of my favorites. And it's an amazing set. He has tons of interviews. He's, you know, Richard Rohr's on there, Robert Taylor Brown, hmm. um, Jean Vignier, um, Brene Brown. I mean, hmm. he interviews mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people. And um, it's really, there's good stuff on there. It makes me um, think, though, that there was a Greg Boyd that was on there. And um, one thing he said, there's a whole bunch, but I saw this one about faith and doubt because I wrote the um, uh, discussion guide for it. There were six films on it. They're short. They're good discussion things. But the Greg Boyd one made me think because he does this whole thing about how we're wired in our brains to um, get pleasure from people that agree with us. Hmm. So actually, we have in us, when someone agrees with you, your brain goes, yay, 
we're so happy. We feel good. And if someone brings an opposing theology, our brain goes, mm-mm, nope, 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 nope. Don't let that in. Don't let that in. Like, it's hardwired. And um, so it makes me think of the same thing. Right. Like, your brain gets used to, your body and your brain gets used to good, great teaching, kind of getting swept up. The music's amazing. And um, and it feels good. And it's, you know, it's the Word of God being coming back at you in a challenging way. Like, it's inspiring. Mm. But um, then you learn that you can't live without it. That's right. Because then you come to weird Ash Wednesday services, and you're like, what's this? You know? And you, or you have to have a conversation. You have to, like, that's what happened the first week of the refuge. Even there... I don't want to talk to that person. I want you to tell me something good about God to make me feel better, you know. And so I really think it's, it's deeper than we know. And that, so I would say to those, those folks, I get it because I used to be there. Yep, me too. But you can live without it. And you, in the end, you miss it. Yep. It's just like drinking and smoking, you know, and I, I don't drink anymore. And once in a while, I'll get in a bind, and I wish I had a drink. It's been 21 years. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way. I, even though I don't want that kind of church, I'll go, gosh, it would just feel good. And I'm so glad I don't get it anymore because it forces me to connect with God and um, everything a lot, not numbed out. Mm. Right, that's what happens. Yeah. Everything's packaged, prepared, fed to you. Yeah. It gives you a little spiritual high. Mm-hmm. And yeah. To get, and then yeah. you get a fix. I'm always like, give a me fix. the fix. Mm-hmm. Give, me the, give me the fix yep. on your arm. Give me another hit. hit. And yeah. and it's never enough. And that's why, I, I mean, my heart does, I'll go back to the pastoral staff, and I'll say, you know, you guys are in a jam because you always got to keep raising your A game. And it's hard, and there's a lot of competition and I always feel, you know, the mid-level church, we're talking about Megan's teeny, but the mid-level church, actually, my heart almost hurts the most for them. Mm. Because um, what's so hard is how to maintain when you're mid with the competition, quote-unquote, it's terrible, it's true, of people wanting what you can never bring. All the great music, yes. the great kids programs, yep. youth programs, college programs, missions trips, you know, yeah. great, excellent teaching. All yeah, those things. You might be able to do one or two, maybe, in a mid-level, but not all of them. Mm-mm. And, but a lot of mid-levels are stuck with the building. Right, yeah. Stuck old... with pastors on staff that do good work. And that's, I have met so many good pastors, like truly amazing pastors that loved their mid you know, their 250 mm-hmm, range church. Mm-hmm. And then what happened is, and this is why I have a lot of sometimes um, super adverse, like I'm going to call it out. Those mega churches suck them dry. Suck like the it's called the Hoover effect. Yep. And they just suck out all their resources. And that little group of 250 had so much potential and it all gets lost yeah. because people are addicted to inspiration. Like hmm. all roads go back to that, and not really actually wanting to be connected to other people. It's a safe way to it be is part safe. of a church without ever ever having anybody know you. It ends up not really being church. It's not. Just call it going to a serve. I was just say go to a concert. My wife and I had a conversation about that. Yeah, social club or a yeah. concert or something, and that'd right. be fine. Okay, you go to a weekly concert. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. But don't call that church. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm like you're I, to me. I'm like you're not allowed to call it church if nobody knows you. You never talk to anybody. You don't. No one knows what you're good at and what you struggle with. Right. No one knows one thing about your personal life. Yeah. You know, and I can't tell you how many times this happens where people have been involved in a big church for years and then their marriage falls apart or the kid you know is really struggling or something and they have nobody to turn to but they've been handing out programs at that church forever Mm. and um and that is a good example that's not church that's going to a christian service maybe that's how we should sure christian service yeah. yeah yeah which as you've been saying becomes an addiction it can be it can be yeah so all right, well, let's go the opposite way then. Okay. 
tiny church, mm -hmm. house church, organic church. I mean, there's so many labels. I don't care what you call it. The teeny churches where, and I'm, I'm primarily thinking, not what you do, but almost regular church in a micro format, mm -hmm. meeting in someone's living room. So there's still going to be, uh, you know, the guy who's maybe leading the Bible study. They, you know, they sit around. There's still going to be the songs or something. Mm -hmm. Would you say the same exact thing to them? Or... Because it's more like, oh, we don't we don't do the mega church anything because they're wasting resources on the staff and on the buildings mm -hmm. and on the 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 you know ten thousand dollar a month electric bill. We don't do that because we just meet in the house the way they did in the New Testament times. But when you get down to it, they still have the same stuff. Right. So is was the message still the same? It's still an addiction, or would you say something different? Well, I can speak a little less to that because I've never been in exactly a house church, mm. but I've been in a lot of groups that met weekly and were really committed and kind of had those elements in it. And I probably would say some of the same things. Yeah. <laughs> and that is the danger is, well, one is why do you feel like you have to do that every single week? Right. So that's a really big thing. Making the commitment. And Why the... do you have to do that every single week? Why do you have to have all those elements every single week to have it matter? Uh, is it not enough to just eat and talk? Right. Like, is that not enough? Like, actually, that's what a lot of people in the world do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They just hang out. Eat and talk. And they and natural things come up. And it and... may not be. It's set time. It's set place no. every week. Yeah, you just Friends do. getting together. Yeah, and you don't have a topic. You don't have someone leading. And so you don't have to do those things to have it quote-unquote count. Right. And so, you know, to me, I'm like, it, what if... I, I don't, it doesn't bother me if, if you do that, but why do you do that all the time? And are you in some the same way just as comfortable? Mm. And that's a teeny bit of my thing about... Um, house church in general and why because the refuge you know the refuge is not super big we can't be a house we're too big to be a house church we are you know as a whole body um but you know it's it's crossed my mind are we all supposed to be littler pockets and i think why i i struggle sometimes is an average person doesn't know how to enter so you, on the whole, you have to get a weird invite through something, and then sometimes there's sneakiness that happens with that. I'm trying to get them into my... It's got the same elements of getting someone to church versus just inviting somebody over because you want to hang out with them. And so, um, and it is weird for people sometimes to go to a house that they've never... It's like an underground thing, but I know it's good. So I have to say, I mean, I'll choose that over the big thing any day. But um, I kind of think that it, the same thing can happen, and it's happened in groups I've been in, that it becomes really closed, and you don't even know. I don't mind it being closed if you're honest about it. Right. But usually it's like you pretend that you're kind of open, but you're really not. It's better to go, you know, we're just going to be a closed group, and that's what we're committed to, and just, like, own it. Yeah. And then, but if you're going to do that, then you, where are you out in the world somewhere else? And where are you being challenged in a place that is uncomfortable? That's what my thing is, is the same thing can happen. It's just comfortable. I always say, I usually didn't, wouldn't do house church with people I didn't like. Yeah. And so that's what, you know, here, you know, we're just, we've got a wide range of people. And I mean, I love the diversity, but it's uncomfortable. And you wouldn't get that if it was just like only at someone's house. Yeah. Because the doors are just not quite as open. They're not. Right. They're just not as open. Hmm. So that's all I got. Then I think I would, I would also though celebrate and go, it's okay, that, that's enough. And where else is your heart coming alive? What other ways are you living out what God's put on your heart? Where are you in the, in the community? Like, what other things are you, can you celebrate? And that maybe this is just kind of your home base. I kind of like that about yeah. house churches. If it's just your home base, but you're out doing other things, because you need that encouragement yeah. and safety. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's actually, I think, really good. Very healthy to have mm -hmm. that safe 
area. Yeah. But yeah, the the invitation to become uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would be the same for the house church so, type maybe. setting. Huh. Yeah, and I'm just going to be honest, so I don't sound like we. I mean, we need to keep being more uncomfortable here too. Even oh, we it's are easy to get into a comfortable yeah. rhythm, and right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so. that's true for me too. Um, so, okay, um, another group of people I'm inviting you to talk to: <laughs> the Duns. Have you heard about the Duns? I know a lot about the Duns. You know a lot about the Duns, yeah. You have some in your family, right? Yeah, uh, and, a lot of friends. And um, I th- did, did Wayne Jacobson talk to you? I seem to remember. I could be well, wrong. Well, we talked about Faith Shift. Oh, your book, The yeah. Faith, Faith so Shift. Yeah, so that was yeah. kind of what, because that is, so many people are really done. Shifting, They right. unraveled, and they're like, I'm so yeah. dumb. And then Josh Packard, mm-hmm. you know him? Yeah, he's from here. Right. I don't know him. Okay, he's right around here somewhere. Yeah. University of North... Colorado yeah, he's or like, something like I that. I think he's Fort Collins. Okay, okay. Or Sociologist something. or something up yeah. there, I think. So he did this whole study on the Duns. I'm not a big fan of the term because, I mean, I guess it's okay in the context, but apparently, according to him, 210 adult Americans in the United States, of those, 65 million used to attend church and they no longer do. Okay? Mm-hmm. Of those 65 million, 30 million still say they are they identify as a follower of Jesus that scripture prayer god still has a very important place in their life 30 million mm-hmm. of the 65 and i would imagine if you talk to the six, the other 35 what they're actually rejecting is the system the system it's not necessarily that, that hurt them and they feel I can't accept all that, all the all that stuff that goes on there, the things they told me to believe, the things they told me about God. I can't accept that, so therefore I reject the whole thing. I think if someone like you could come alongside them and say, <laughs> you can reject all that and still follow God, I think a large percentage of those 35 million would still be happy with who God really is. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so what? if you could say something to this segment of American culture, United States culture, the duns, the so-called duns, mm-hmm. done with church, but not done with God. Yeah. I always say never confused done with I don't care. Right. And so, and they, it kind of gets that rap. So like church people are like, oh, I can't believe they're done. Yeah. Like, you can't just walk away. Abandoned God. They need rejected to, Jesus. The church is full of imperfect people. And, you know, yeah. it's never going to be what it's supposed to be, but you have to grind down and figure it out. And to me, I my you know, this is a big piece of faith shift. Right. Is that you, when you do kind of unravel and you just can't do it anymore. You truly cannot return. You can't. To honor that instead of sort of, um, and even if other people don't honor it, is to honor it that it doesn't mean that you don't have faith anymore. It's just like that. You take those stats, and I think it's probably way higher than that if you add what you're saying, mm-hmm. like what you really rejected. And, you know, I think a lot of people that are done, they're, they are done with an image of God that they used to have. Some of the practices, mm-hmm. um, some of the things that were like core beliefs that felt so important aren't anymore. I would just say, really listen to what is making your soul come alive. Where are you feeling God? How can you live out what faith you do still have? Because, you know, this is where I do like what Jesus said. You know, it's just a little bit goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> and so how can you live out the little faith that you do have? Maybe it's big. Some of it, some duns have huge faith. Right. Um, but let's just say it small, seems small. How can you lift that out? In, in what context? Who needs you? What community agencies need you? What work's already being done in the places that you are? How can you get places where you can have the kind of spiritual conversations you do want to have, mm-hmm. where no one's going to jump on you and scripturize you and fix you, and but they're really going to like go, oh my gosh, me too, and here's where I'm wrestling with, and... Like, how can you find that? And it probably, the saddest part is, is it's probably not going to be in most church systems. But it might be in some. You know, I have seen some people get, kind of come to the end and unravel a whole bunch and walk away. And then they really want to rebuild something. 
you know, and the little something was maybe like, you know, I'm just going to maybe kind of hang out at this Episcopal church and kind of see what it's like. And, and something did kind of, that little thing inside got fanned into flame. But it's never probably going to be like what it used to be. Mm-hmm. So that would be the other thing I would always say to myself, because I'm a little bit of a done in right. that I am really done with the old thing. Yeah, the whole system. I really am, truly. And so, but I'm not done with Jesus, and I am not done with um, my responsibility to participate in the kingdom now. And then my, my thing is, I, I really don't believe it will happen unless we play. Right. And so, that's a little bit. And so, I... That on that done part, the part that I do really um, respect is that it is hard when those feelings never come back. But it's a good thing. It, they have their place, but just honoring that. It is hard. I miss the high. Mm-hmm. And so I always say, is that, you know, just don't go looking for that again. Look for something else yeah. that will be meaningful and deep and will, it won't, you won't get high but you will get satisfied. Mm. Which is better in the long run, the satisfaction. I think so. Better than the high. It really is better than the high because those those just come and go. And And you um, always need another fix, but the satisfaction, it leaves you sustained. It leaves you filled. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, good. A couple more questions, actually just two. Uh, And this is sort of what I want my interviews to focus on in the future I'm looking for the one thing (laughs) if there's like one thing that has sort of guided your life or changed your life or if you just just uh, it's sort of the guiding principle or the guiding truth or the just the one thing that you just want people to understand the most you know it, it it's in everything you do and think and say it's sort of do you have something like that and if so what is it I'll just say the very first thing that comes to mind is that somehow, knowing this inside, but passing this on, is helping participate in helping us feel loved. Hmm. Like, really loved. Not just a saying, God loves you. No, 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 no. That's easy to say. Right, God loves you. I'm saying receiving the love of God, receiving the love of people. And, you know, so I was always like, to be loved and to love. Mm. So it's kind of two, but it's in one. Right. And so we do love others how we are loved. We love our neighbors as ourselves. It's part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And so if we could really participate in kind of restoring that dignity, I think it's dignity. Like underneath that is all dignity is when we're dignified people made in the image of God and believe that, you feel loved. Mm. And so there's so many forces to strip dignity, our own and others. And so how do we participate in like really fanning that? It's in there already, in my opinion. It's not elusive, but it's like under so much rubble in most of us. And so, like, how do, because I know my friends and community helped uncover that. And I, you know, I don't have this mastered. I, I need more of God's love and to really believe that in every fiber. But I do believe it more today than I ever believed it when I was actually doing all the right Christian things. Hmm. That's what's weird. Right. And so. Doing um, the checklist. Yeah. Well. And that it, people, whether, no matter what they believe, no matter what, what, Anything. I had this story. It makes me think of it. It just happened yesterday. It was kind of weird. I told Jose this. It's a little bit of like you never know someone's story. And um, I was actually just getting my nails done. Total first world thing. <laughs> and, um, and this woman was telling me she was from Vietnam. And she had three kids. And her husband died when she was pregnant with her little girl. Mm. Tragically in a car accident unexpectedly when he was visiting his family and she moved here by herself hmm. and I just started listening to the story it makes me want to cry when I think about it because she just was so kind and she was rebuilding and she misses her husband and she misses her daughter she separated from her daughter and 
I told Jose, I go, I called Jose and I was talking because he was traveling. That's my husband. And I was like, you know, it's just a reminder. There's so much going on for everybody in this world. Yeah. Everybody, her story. And I did, that's just scratched the surface, but those were huge things. And you know what I could feel? I could just feel how um, she just needed to be treated with dignity and love. We had this great conversation. And I mean, we didn't, I didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. She just got to share. And she goes, I don't always say this. And there was something that kind of happened. And I thought, oh my gosh, there are billions of these. Billions, billions. of these stories. And we get to participate in somehow holding them and listening to them. And then that helps with the one thing, which is somehow feeling like you matter, your dignity, you're not nothing. God's in all that. I don't even have the language for it all the way. Um, and that's somehow like what propels me and you can do that in church out of church any way around like you can do that work of that participating thing. no matter and helping that. people feel loved yeah. showing them that they are loved yeah that they really matter and they're not insignificant and they're not what most of us think in the dark yeah. about ourselves so if there's someone listening who doesn't feel loved and obviously they <clears throat> don't know you um, they're not sure they can go to their church where they're at and get the dignity, the respect, or they don't feel loved there. What mm-hmm. what do you tell them to do? I mean, what what can they do? Well, somehow I do think it requires, and oh my gosh, I know the feeling. That's the first thing I would say because I've struggled with this my whole life, and this is what a lot of what happens in our families. You know, just Genesis 3. Right. Take that, add dysfunctional families, add wacky church, (laughs) add weird things that happen. It's like a cocktail (laughs) for not feeling loved. Yep. Is it somehow, is there somebody, some way to begin to talk about that with? And, And this is where, you know, and I, that somebody can be God. I don't, I always want to be care. Everyone intersects with God differently, but I think God can really help with that. Sure. But this is one thing I would say is that usually a person alone in a room can't get that just from God. No. And so I know people can totally slam me for this. I don't care. I've never seen it happen. I've only seen it work when we're with other people and God. In relationships. Yes, because God's flowing through that. And one person can make a huge difference. Tonight, actually, at Ash Wednesday, and I don't don't think my friend would mind um, me sharing this, but it's really true where a lot of us are just hailing from brokenness. And we we didn't have parents that held us, you know. We didn't have parents that told us we were loved. We didn't have parents that provided security. Then we went to churches that said, pray harder, work harder, learn more, serve more, put your own needs aside, and then you're left. This is my biggest sadness about the the followers of Jesus. It is the most insecure, shame-filled group. Yeah, it's true. It makes me so sad. (laughs) And I was there. I was like the best Christian. And inside I was unforgiven, shameful wretch, dirty, rotten all those things, and the theology just makes me nuts. And um, anyway, we have a language here um, of just sometimes I just need to be held. Mm. It's like, can you just hold me for just a minute and give me a long hug? And um, and I just did. And in my family, my one of my twins used to come when he was little, and he'd come up to you and he'd go, hold you. He'd put his arms up and say, hold you. And, you know, we lifted him up. We were halfway decent parents. We lifted up and held him. It's not that complicated. <laughs> and so, but here we are. We're all grown-ups. Kind of wanting to go up to people and say, hold you. Yeah. But most churches, you can't do that. And they're actually saying, let God hold you. Let God hold you. And you're like, well, I'm sorry. I do not feel held by God. I want to. And my hope is that maybe tonight she kind of felt that hug. And that that translates to God. It's not just it's not just me, but that helps with the translation, I guess. Like we're translators. Somehow we can help translate. 
So that's what I would say to somebody who's feeling unloved is, is there anybody you could talk to about what that feels like and how can you get out? And I always say, fine, if you have to and you can't go to church, go to some meeting, some 12-step meeting because you will be in good company with people that are willing to say, I don't feel loved hmm. and I feel broken. And I don't want to feel this. And the piece of those meetings, what does happen is that um, people begin to admit it and believe that maybe that God could um, restore us to sanity and turn our life. You know, those are the 12 steps at the beginning of it. And if you can't find it in church, then try there or in some kind of support group with other people that are going to be honest. Hmm. That's good. Thank you very much. Hey, if people want to connect with you, I haven't talked about your books. I wanted to. Down We Go, Faith Shift is your most recent. Mm-hmm. And then, it's all a year and a half now. Yeah. Uh, any others? I'm trying to remember now. I'll, no. I'll, I'll include the links to them on. Where can they get your books if they wanted to? Yeah, well, if you want to, you can get them on Amazon. Of course. So there's a few projects that I did before Down We Go that are kind of, um, one was for women and one was kind of how to break down walls between, they were co- I co-authored them, but the, those two are kind of the main ones that I I did. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually did a fun project with group that was on the Jesus-centered Bible. Oh, yeah. I just did four little intros, but that was kind of fun. Um, but those books, you can get on Amazon really easy. That's the best place. Down we go, Faith Shift. Both of those. And then if people want to connect with you? Just go to the blog, kathyescobar.com. Kathyescobar.com. Yeah, and I don't blog a ton, once a week maybe, but um, that's a good... And you can. there's tons of stuff there from eight years ago. And so um, that's the place. Almost, almost everything I've ever said, I just say over and over again in a different way. On there, so. And then if they want to learn more about The Refuge? Is um, therefugeonline.org, www.therefugeonline.org. And there's a link on my blog, too. Okay. And I'm going to put links to all of these in the show notes okay. for the podcast. So yeah, people can get them that link, too. So, well, thank you, Kathy. Anything you want to say in closing? No, just thank you. It's yeah. so fun to hang out. It was really fun. Happy. I always appreciate it. You're one of my heroes. I well, know. I remember we met online and it's yeah. been so fun yeah, because um, we get to, and then we have mutual friends that we know yeah. in real life. Yeah. That's my favorite part. It is. People think online is lame and it is not. Right. You meet the most kindred spirits. Yeah. So. I've met lots of great people all over the world. Yeah. I Met several of them in real life too, and it's it's wonderful. So it's a gift. So yeah, one of those. So thank you very fun. much. It was fun. Well, I really want to thank Kathy for that interview. I hope that you were encouraged and instructed by it as much as I was. That whole idea about how the church sort of gives this idea today about meeting with God and how we do that, and it just doesn't resonate. It doesn't work for most people. Sitting in a room, raising our arms up to the sky and just hoping that God will meet us. And people need to be touched. They need to feel and know and see the presence of God. And just she showed how we can do that by being God to other people coming alongside them, hugging them, touching them, talking with them, listening to them, sharing life with them. That is how we can be God, how God can make himself real to other people. I thought that was very insightful, very encouraging and challenging even to me. And then this whole thing that she was talking about, what she would tell pastors of churches today, and even what she would tell people who are still in these churches today. Wow, so convicting. Listen, if you... If you were encouraged or challenged by something Kathy said, I really invite you to start reading her blog over at kathyescobar.com. Subscribe to her podcast on iTunes. It's Faith Circus. Get some of her books on Amazon. I highly recommend Down We Go or Faith Shift. Those are two of the, the best books, the books that have influenced me the most from Kathy. But you really can't go wrong by getting anything that she has written. Links to all those are in the show notes at theology.fm slash Kathy Escobar slash 16. And I'm also going to include some of the questions from this interview that I asked her so you can see them for yourself as well. Uh, So until next time, keep thinking, 
And may your life and theology continue to look more and more like Jesus Christ.